All right, we are continuing on in our series through Ecclesiastes. Just to catch you up, um, Ecclesiastes is written by somebody that self-identified as uh, the teacher or the gatherer. Kohelet is his name. So if you hear me refer to Kohelet, that is the, the author of Ecclesiastes. He's in the line of, of Solomon. Many think Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm kind of there, but there's debate over that. Um, and so we are in a, um, a, a topic that we come to that he addresses throughout his, it's kind of like a memoir that he's writing. He's trying to give wisdom to his sons and to many other people in, in Israel on how to live, how to think about uh, wisdom. And so this is what he says about anger and um, vexation. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 18, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. What has a man from all the toil and striving of the heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity." Better is the beginning of a thing than its beginning. Better is the end of a thing than, than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So it's our practice here to uh, spend some moments in silence. And um, we're asking in that space a particular thing each week. And so this week we're going we're gonna to hone in on where anger might be deep within us. And I know that may be a, a scary prayer to pray. But um, asking God to reveal to us the, the possibly the hidden anger that is in our hearts. Okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Uh, you have called many to yourself, and you have, have told us that there is an eternal world where um, the, your streams make glad the city of God, and in that, in that world, Lord, in the new creation where, where you live, there is no anger, there is only love. Um, there is no frustration or vexation or annoyance. There is only the ever-increasing experience of people delighting in one another, people delighting in you, people enjoying you. And that's hard to believe, Father. Um, and so that's why you give us your word here in life under, under the sun. And so help us to navigate uh, the pain and sorrow that we feel. Um, not in a gloomy way, not in a mopey way, but in a way that honors you, in a way that um, releases us from the grip of anger. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So today we um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about anger's anger's instinct, anger's limit, and anger's hope. Uh, I had a friend from the south. I'm from the south of the United States. He's a very genteel guy, very easygoing, uh, like calm temperament. And he was telling us a story about one time he was around the dinner table. And he had three young daughters, and um, they kept making loud noises and were being cantankerous and he said they kept doing it and they kept doing it and then he sort of he said I, I sort of lost control and I I banged I did like this on the table you know and, the, and like the plates like jumped up and he said he looked he looked across the table and his youngest daughter was like you know she had tears welling up in her eyes and she's like daddy um, almost like that's not who you are and uh, I remember he was telling a group of guys that, and he looked up at us, and he's like, you guys ever had a moment like that? We all, like, you know, look down at the ground. <laughs> um, that's uh, when, when you feel pain or something uh, that seems unbearable in your life is happening, there's an instinct w- within us um, that's in the heart of all human beings that we uh, have to deal with. Kohelet wants to address that. He wants to talk about that. Um, the, the way that we experience life when we feel sorrow or pain, whether it's mental, emotional, or physical, and something hurts, that's our instinctual is, is to sort of respond and react that way. And so the more, th- those are the more like obvious expressions of anger um, that are quick and external, like what you find in verses 118, it says that the more you know, the more you know, the more wisdom you have, the more vexation you feel, which is, I don't know, I think about that, and I'm like, man, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and then the more I think about it, the more it makes sense, because it's like, the more you understand, the more clearly you see how broken the world actually is, and the more it feels like I can't do anything about it. And so it's that feeling of like, ugh, frustration, anger, annoyance, vexation, and in verse 2, 22 through 23, Kohelet says, work can be like this too. He says, work is a vexation. Work is this annoying anger feeling. It can be monotonous. It could cause sleeplessness. Um, and that's also what he calls a vanity. Now, I'm, I'm sure many of you in this room maybe have experienced that with, with work. Like, you're, you're the one that is putting in far more than anyone else, or you're the one that like is helping reach the goal, maybe at your own personal you know expense. Like you're losing sleep, you're you're not even taking care of yourself, and then the result is uh, you don't get compensated fairly, or uh, you you may even be let go, or you're overlooked, or you don't get a promotion, or you you're the one that helped reach the goal, and then somebody else somebody else gets rewarded. Well, Kohelet says that these are the types of experiences in life that cause vexation, that cause anger. And, and you, are, you are vexed about all sorts of things that you experience in life because of the sorrow and pain of it. But there's also um, what I would call like an inner anger, which is the type that's much, much harder to detect and much, much harder to get rid of um, because it lodges deep within you. And so uh, 
verse 9 is best understood with verse 8 uh, read before it. Verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning, and patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And it says, Be not quick to become angry, for anger lodges deep within the bosom of fools, is the old translation. So what he's talking about there is that we often think about the beginning of things as being better than the end of things, but that's not the way that the wise think. The way that the wise person thinks is they look at a situation, could be good, could be challenging, either way, and they say, I don't know the end of this story yet. So I'm going to have to patiently wait and see what happens. The proud in spirit says, and I am terrible at this, the proud in spirit says, I already know what's going to happen. I've seen this before. Life is all sadness. Life is all pain. People are only out for themselves. Um, There's a story in the book of Genesis that I've been thinking about for 15 years almost. Esau was, this is a crass phrase, but it's true. Esau got screwed over by his brother. He cheated him. Israel, his name's Jacob first, cheated him out of his whole life. His inheritance, he had to change his whole way of life because his brother cheated him. And Rachel favored Jacob. And she says, you need to be careful when you're around your brother Esau because he comforts himself by planning to kill you. And I think that's exactly what Ecclesiastes 7.9 is about. That there is a way, when, when anger lodges deep within a person, there's a way that anger can become comforting to our hearts, soothing. And Kohelet says, when you repeatedly respond to life's disappointments, and, and they come, over and over and over again. When you repeatedly respond to life's disappointments and pain, what can happen is that there is an inner disposition towards God that can take root in our gut that says back to him, I knew the worst would happen. Because God, that's what you're like. Look, I know we're not supposed to like say stuff like this in church. You know, we're supposed to be happy, you know, but like the, Psalm 88, the psalmist says, and this is an act of worship. He says back to God, God, darkness is like a better friend than you. And what happens is, you know, you see something painful and bitter when you're in this place and your response isn't explosive anymore, nor is it to be sad. Your response is kind of like this, hmm, figures. Figures. Now, that type of person can appear to be easygoing on the outside, but is actually very deeply, deeply angry. They don't know it. And most of the people around them don't know it. And that's because anger's instinct has not only taken root in the external part of their lives, but it has gone deeper and is more hidden. And so what do we do? What do we do if we sense that that's a part of the work of, our, of how we've responded to the pain and sorrow of our life? Uh, point two, we, we must recognize that anger has a limit. 
And I want to describe what I mean by that by going back to verses 222 through 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of the heart with which he toils underneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Now remember the word vanity means breath or vapor. Like you can't, you can't grasp it and it won't last. What Kohelet is saying is that anger, vexation, is a mist. Like it won't, it won't last. And some of you might be like, well, you should have seen my dad's anger. It sure made a lasting impact on me. Um, and that may be true, but if you are the person expressing the anger, here's where I want to, to talk to you. Anger feeds off of fear. It cannot exist without fear. It's a subsidiary emotion from fear. And fear is what drives and controls anger. You know the boxer Mike Tyson? If you ever watched the documentary about Mike Tyson, he got beat up a lot as a kid. And he, he will tell you, he'll say, the reason why I'm such a good fighter, the reason why I'm the fiercest fighter, the most feared fighter, is because what I felt as a kid, I never wanted to feel again. And what he, te- what he tells you over the course of his life, he, that drivenness, that fierceness, he couldn't keep it up. It doesn't last. You can't be that hardened forever. And what I want you to know, if, if you're the one expressing anger, experiencing anger, is that anger is for a limited time only. It's going away. Now, why might that be helpful? Remember the question that Kohelet's been wrestling with. This is the main question that he's dealing with. Can anything be gained underneath the sun? Does life have meaning without God? So, for instance... um, is, is there any profit in being angry? And the answer is only for a very brief time. And the great trick of life, Kohelet says, and, and this, is, this is what we all need to kind of really think deeply about, is that we experience things here on earth, and then we interpret heaven from what we experience. And Kohelet says, let's flip that around. Let's interpret how you experience life from the world above the sun. And if that's true, if you let the world above the sun interpret your reality right now, what's going to happen is that you're going to learn that there is something so very holy about your pain. That God has consecrated it. Some way in which God intends to transform you through it. To bring you into the resurrected form of life. That God is preparing you for life above the sun in this world's disappointments. The crucible of who you will be 
is in the pain that you feel in this world. I have a good friend who's fond of saying, I wonder if you agree with this. I have a good friend who's fond of saying, the more you know of someone, the harder it is to love them. Verse 118, familiarity breeds contempt, not just with people, but with knowledge. The more you know, the harder it is to love, the harder it is to be patient, the harder it is to be gentle. And God comes along and says, actually, actually, there is another world. And it's a world of love, as Jonathan Edwards says. And in that world, God says, the more I know you, the more I love you. And your experience here in this life is that the more broken you are, the more that prepares your heart to receive my presence and prepares you for the world to come. Meaning pain is the doorway to whether you'll believe that or not. And that's where the hope of anger is found. Anger is hope. I, you know, I did not get permission to uh, tell this story. Um, so, Sarah, maybe we'll have to have a conversation after this. But before I met Sarah, um, I was dating someone who I was having a hard time knowing if I should marry or not. And every everything about her made, made sense. It made a lot of sense. Um, and yet there was something... There was something missing. And, you know, our culture would say, it was like, you just didn't love her or you weren't, you weren't in love with her. But that, I just found that so unsatisfactory of an answer. Um, and I, during that time, I was, I was really angsty over it. I didn't know what to do. During that time, I read, I read a letter uh, from a guy named John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace. And he was, I think he was writing about uh, sanctification, something totally different than romantic love, Right. Um, and he said this phrase that it changed me. It changed the trajectory of my life. And this is a paraphrase, but, but he, he said, if there is no spark at the beginning, how can you expect to keep the flame when the embers run low? And somehow God used that to change me. And I realized in that moment, it wasn't just that I wasn't in love with her, which is what our culture says. It was the, it was, I was missing the grace of entrusting my life and my heart to another person, and I was unwilling to do that with her. Here's how that relates to God and what we're talking about. There is some spark in you right now that wants God He is your first and deepest love. And you cannot get away from it. And it is God's grace that put it there. But over time, the sorrow and pain of this life threatens to embitter us. Anger and vexation, they make a lot more sense on paper than that story that's ancient that you belong to. And even when you say yes to God at times, he might take you down paths where you say, why am I doing this? And you wake up 
one day and you're like, I don't want my life to be this way. And in those moments, you guys, there are very, very pivotal moments in your life where you get to that precipice and you're like, I don't want this. The wise know how to stop and pay attention in those pivotal moments and in those pivotal seasons. The wise pay very close attention to those moments because you're setting yourself on a trajectory towards or away from God. And in, in, those, in those times, you have, three, you have three choices. You can embrace pain and define yourself by your pain and say that life is nothing but sorrow and pain and bitterness. Two, you can try and hide from it and medicate and soothe yourself until you die. Or three... And I got to give thanks to Indra Brockman for this one. She helped me. We can entrust ourselves to God. This does not make the pain go away or the sorrow go away, but here's what it does. If you entrust yourself to God in the midst of the things that you don't understand, here's what happens it transforms your interpretation of the sorrow, it transforms your interpretation of why pain is in your life. And you, and you see that this is actually for my holiness, for my glory. The third option is to bring your anger before God and, and before yourself and you say to him, okay, I don't want this here, but how do you want to use it in my life? You say, you say to God, and this is a hard one, you say to God, I am not you. I don't understand this. I can't see how this particular thing is going to get any better. But I trust you, even though it doesn't make any sense to me right now. That If you get there, that's when you know of your own volition that you're like, oh, man, I believe like there's something st- solid here from the Lord that, that is going to be eternal. You're, ta- you're tapping into what you already are in the future. So what might that look like? I want for you to right now to bring to mind the thing that is really causing you pain. Like you have a thing in your life right now that's unbearable, that's caused you so much anxiety, so much anger, like you don't even know how to talk about it. It's just too much. Like I can't even, you know, I can't even tap into it. It's just too, too overwhelming, okay? What's being asked of you by God in that thing is some sort of death by you in this season. A death to self-protection and a death away from self-indulgence, and Jesus Christ comes into your life in that place of sorrow, and what he says is like, I really, I really want to hold your hand through this. Can we do that together? Can we do this together? And he wants you to trust him. And he wants you to choose to believe that he's got a reason for it. And when you do, there may not be immediate healing 
But what begins to happen is that there is a different type of intimacy with God at that point. An intimacy that you were made for. An intimacy of your first and deepest love. And what you learn is that you were not made to be an angry and vexed person. That's not who you are. That's going away. It's missed. This is who you are. That God sees you and he, he is so, so with you. He's so with you. And he wants you to believe that. Trusting God is a deliberate choice to be present in your pain without hiding or self-protecting. Okay? It's one of the hardest things to do in the world. Trusting God is the deliberate choice to be present to your pain without hiding or self-protecting. And you say there, you don't, you don't harden up. You'll be like, all right, God, what are we going to do with this? Where are you going with this? John Bryant is an author of a book called A Quiet Mind to Suffer With, and he writes about having OCD, and he said, at some point I had to realize that my mind was not my friend, that my mind was telling me things that, that were not true, and he said that it actually took me about five years, specifically with the practice of the daily office and praying throughout the day, to know how to quiet my mind. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, if the Anger of the ruler rises against you. Don't leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. That verse, some scholars say, is like referring to a cantankerous king and how to respond if a king is angry at you when you're in his presence. And, and Kohela is saying, if the king is like explosive, be still, don't leave. Uh, don't disrespectively, disrespectively leave his presence, but also stay calm. And what I want to tell you is that sometimes our minds are like an angry tyrant. And the next time you get angry, don't, don't escape. Be attentive. Don't leave your place. Be calm. And if you're like, well, I can't be calm. That's, that's the problem. Like, that's when you need somebody to come into your presence and say, I'm with you. And you may be, there, there's all sorts of people right now that would love to be with you when you start to spin. I bet I could count like 100 people in this room that would love to do that with you. And in your mind, you may need to fight right now saying, no one wants to be there with me in that. No, no, one, no one wants to see me in that state. That's, that's a lie. People do want to be with you. It's you that must let them. That, that's, what part, that's part of the why the body of Christ exists, so that we can enter into the spaces and simply be there. John Bryant says, I can't tell you how many times he just plays Uno with people to help them quiet their minds. He plays Uno with them. And he said, I can't tell you how many times God has used Uno to bring people back to his table who wouldn't step foot in a church a year ago. It's just the, the ministry of presence that helps us reorient our brains around the fact that like, we don't have to be angry. We don't have to spin. We can feel love, and we feel that through the body of Christ, through each other's presence.
That's how you, that's how you like do the surgery on your heart to remove the vexation from the center of your soul. Ecclesiastes 11.10, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. One commentator says, This is the path that Kohelet has advocated for throughout the book. Rather than conforming yourself to and defining yourself by the world of frustration, a life marked by the brevity and vexation doesn't have to end in futility. If life is embraced for what it is and joy is pursued... Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was also full of joy. How? How can you be full of joy and acquainted with grief at the same time? He entrusted himself to God, specifically when he was treated unjustly. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And that is the only pathway away from anger. And First Peter says, and this is the life that you were called to. So it means to be human. Um, I'll end here. Um, still under 30 minutes. Okay, that's good. Uh, me and uh, one of our elders here were at a presbytery meeting yesterday. Don't worry about if you don't know what that means. It's a very boring meeting. But there was not a, um, a boring moment. There was a, a non-boring moment when these two pastors shared about their time in India. And they said they went out to this, to this village and talked with the leader of a ministry who had a driver. And, you know, he's like describing some, some of the ministry outworkings, and, and they were like, hey, do you want to hear our driver's story? This is a very intense story, so bear with it. Um, and the, the two pastors were like, yeah, we'd like to hear his story. And so the driver says that when I was, when I was little, my dad was very angry and an alcoholic, and um, he, he killed my mother in front of me and all of our siblings by pouring gasoline on her. And setting her on fire. Um, and he said, some guys took me under their wing and trained me to find, go and find my father and uh, kill him as an act of retrib- retributive justice. And um, this ministry uh, gets involved in his life, and this, this guy becomes a Christian, and he finds his dad. And instead of killing him, he shares the gospel with him. And his dad dies a year later. Um, And what I'm here to tell you, I know that's an intense story, but what I'm here to tell you is like stuff like that happens in the world today. And we we are called, we are called not to revile in return and that, that God can pluck that anger out of our hearts. Um, and use the church to, to birth that into the world. That, that we don't have to be angry because God, all of God's anger was let out on Jesus and it was complete and, and it's finished. And so we can forgive, we can show grace wisely, um, but we can. We don't have to retaliate.
Anger's instinct and limits are real, but the hope of anger is found in the fact that God's anger was made complete through His Son, and He opened a doorway up to the world that we are made for through His death and resurrection. Let's pray and uh, confess, confess our sins. Father, we thank You that You have given us um, the, the way through pain and sorrow. Now, we don't have to go around it. We don't have to avoid it. We don't have to uh, masochistically embrace it. But you've given us the pathway through, and it's through your son, Jesus. And so as we confess sins uh, right now, and as we hear words of assurance and forgiveness, that you would wash that great love over us in Christ's name. Amen.